Good morning, good morning. Well, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Uh, I just want to add my welcome to you guys as well. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking time out of your Sunday to be here with us. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. Or if you have your Bible on your phone, you can pull it out as well. Uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter today, right near the end of the book. And so if you don't have a Bible, feel free. Our Welcome Center has some. We'd love to provide you a Bible if you desire to have one. Give me a turn there. But as you're turning there, I want to get us back up to speed. We're, we're kind of coming back into a series we started a little over two months ago now, back in March. We started it through the book of First Peter. And so we took a break around Easter, uh, but now we're back into First Peter, and we'll be camping here in First Peter for probably most of the summer. Uh, so we're excited for you guys to join with us as we follow along in this book of First Peter. Um, but as Don mentioned, we started the series two months ago. The book of First Peter was written in the mid-first century. It was written to a number of different churches throughout modern-day Turkey. You can show the map there. Um, it was meant to be circulated among these different churches and kind of kind of, yeah, speak a message to many of these churches in the area. Uh, it, this was right about the time that persecution of Christians started to ramp up a little bit. Uh, it was not quite where it was the full-blown persecution in the reign of Nero that was really uh, prescribed, but it was, it was starting that process, and Christians were starting to have this persecution upon them. And so Don reminded us back then, uh, really, that this isn't our permanent home that we were chosen by God, we were elect exiles, that our permanent home was in heaven, but that we were chosen by God, we were still in this world we are in now. And then he continued in the chapter one, speaking about how we can have joy in the midst of different trials and suffering by remembering the certainty and the privilege of our salvation, since it really isn't based on us, but it's based on the finished work of Christ. And then Greg spoke on verses 13 to 21 in chapter one, about how as exiles we are called to live and how our faith causes us to respond in a way that we would live out our faith uh, in how we live. And most of, much of the exhortations that were, were focused in, in Greg's section, they were really based on personally how we're to live individually. But that really brings us to verse 22 here in chapter 1 where Paul continues this theme of exhortations, but it changes from individual to really the exhortation to live as community and the impact that our faith has on how we live in community. So let me pray and we'll dive in this morning. Jesus, we just thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is the thing that holds power, not my words. And so we just ask Lord, you would speak through me, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would speak through me, and that you'd use our time this morning uh, to challenge us, to encourage us, to teach us as you say your word does. We just thank you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to dive in to 1 Peter 1, verse 22. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory are like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that we, was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. 
Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that it may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted the Lord is good. So as I said, Greg's section had three exhortations on what it meant for us personally and the implications our saving faith had on how we live out. But really, this last section here in this, in this bigger section has two more ex- exhortations, but the focus shifts from self to how we live in community. So let's take a look at these verses together and what Peter's really saying. And like Paul in many of his letters, Peter has a nice run-on sentence here that makes it kind of challenging to kind of see what is he really saying. And so I want to start really in the chronological order of what actually takes place, not necessarily what he wrote. Because you see it's a lot of modifiers based off of the really the, the subject of the first sentence is love one another earnestly. But the modifiers there, it's having purified your souls by the obedience of your truth, and then later on, afterwards, it says, since you've been born again. And so I want to start there, since you've been born again, because really that's the precursor to all of this. Since we've been born again, therefore, we love one another earnestly. And that's really kind of the heart of what so much of Scripture is all about, is have we been born again? Do we know and trust Jesus for a saving faith? And so as you look at these verses, that's where we really want to start. Have we been born again? Have we trusted the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserved to pay the punishment for our wrongdoing? And not only that, but he rose again to provide us the right relationship with God. Do we know that? Because really the rest of this letter, the rest of this exhortations, all hinges on that. And if we don't know that, that's the thing that you've got to take time to wrestle with today, more so than anything else. And that then pairs in tandem with having purified our souls. And what makes this sentence so powerful in my mind is that really having purified is it's, it's a perfect participle. And what that means is it's a thing that has already happened, it is finished, but has ongoing consequences, ongoing effects in our life. And so you see, having purified our souls by our obedience to the truth, for sincere brotherly love, we love one another earnestly. And so Greg talked about multiple effects that we have and the way we live in passage he did on April 3rd. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go back and listen to it on YouTube or on our website. Great message that Greg did about the personal implications. But really, the, one of the main f- two focuses in this exhortation is loving one another. So if we've been born again, we love one another. It's a natural implication of how we live out our faith. And so I want to look again at that first section, uh, loving one another. And so really, it's, there's two different adjectives you see on this idea of loving one another. Sincere brotherly love, and then loving one another earnestly from a pure heart. And you see that the love here is described as both sincere and earnest. Another translation use, uses deeply. And the same word translated earnestly here is used a couple other places in Scripture, and it's really used primarily describing prayer. And so in Luke 22, describing Jesus in, this, in the Garden of Gethsemane, is when he's praying, he's praying earnestly. And then again in, in Acts 12, when Peter is imprisoned and the church is praying earnestly for Peter in prison. And so all of these different places that talks about this idea of praying earnestly, loving earnestly, it really speaks to kind of the effort required of this kind of love, the depth of it for one another, and the duration of it, which really is to the end. 
the prayers that Jesus had, it was, it was so much depth that he was sweating blood. The prayers for the church was ongoing in effect, ongoing as they continued to pray for his release. And this love, it says to love one another earnestly with a pure heart. It's not a shallow, surface-level kind of love where it's like, oh, yeah, man, I love you, man. But it really means something. This type of love, it changes people. It changes communities. So my first kind of point of application in this world is, is do you love this way? Do you exhibit this type of love to one another? One of my favorite books on the subject of marriage is a, a book called Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. And actually, one of the most impactful things I got from that book was somewhat related to marriage, but really it related to community in general. And he used a story in one of the first chapters about how um, when he first planted a church in Virginia before he moved to New York and was at Redeemer, um, as he moved into this town, moved into this church, a number of different people in the community came to him and said, hey, there's this one guy in the church, like, he's nice, but he's really hard to love. And he heard this from multiple people along the way. And so he kind of made it his point when he first got there. He was like, you know what? No matter what other people say, I'm going to love this guy because clearly nobody has. And then fast forward nine years later when he was leaving this church in Virginia to go to plant Redeemer in New York, he realized as he chose to love this guy over and over and over, he realized as he left this town, the one guy he was going to miss was this guy that everyone said was unlovable. And that depth and duration of love over time had an impact on him and on his community. And so where does this type of love come from? It comes from a pure heart that's been purified by our obedience to the truth, also known as God's Word. And so let's look at that section again. How many times is the Word referenced? You see it again and again through this first section. You can pull the next slide that has them highlighted there. Um, there's multiple places that the Word is a central focus here. Obedience to the truth. And again, not a perishable seed, but an imperishable, which really you see how it's uh, there through the, the next verse, through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of the Lord remains forever, and this Word is the good news that was preached to you. So you see again and again, really the, the, the crux of this is that the Word has power to change and, and cause us to love with a pure heart. And so I just want to walk through this a little bit, because if this is really the focus, if the Word is the focus of what causes the change here, I want to walk through some of these descriptors and kind of understand them more. It's so the first one there, truth. Truth. Abs this, it is absolute truth. You see in, in uh, 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 3.16, where all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, training, and correcting in righteousness. You see this is in this postmodern world we live in, where everything is, well, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and we can't really affect a, a, one another. The Bible claims absolute authoritative truth. It claims it in itself and it has continued to prove it throughout history. In this passage, it says our souls are purified by our obedience to that absolute truth. And so it really flies in the face of our postmodern world around us where it says, no, you can't really know truth. Scripture says, no, you can know truth. And it is in this book. And not only does it claim it, but it's backed it up time after time again. And then it goes on, like I said, the next section there, it says, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable. And that really ties really well with the next 25, where it says, the word of the Lord remains forever. You've not been born by perishable seed, but of imperishable. 
And this words that he uses through here, he uses a couple times in this section. Back in uh, verse 18, he talks about this idea of perishable. He uses it again in describing the gold and silver. It really, it's, it's this idea that of anything we're putting value in that's not eternal. And then if you look back even further to verse 4, this idea of imperishable comes up again. And it's used to describe our inheritance in heaven. So in this, in this one chapter, Paul uses imperishable to describe our inheritance in heaven and the, imper- the uh, imperishable seed, really the truth, the word. And so you see as, as in that verse 25, it's a quote. What he's quoting there is Isaiah 40. According to Isaiah 40, it says, um, All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And it just speaks again throughout Scripture about how the word of God remains forever, from the beginning to the end. And so Isaiah also speaks to this perishable nature of things around us in contrast to the imperishable word of God. Just a chapter before in Isaiah 39 talks about Hezekiah's weakness of character, contrasting that to the imperishable nature of God's word. And as well, Jesus speaks this in Matthew 25. Really, it's, it's listed in three different gospels. I'll use the one from Matthew here, Matthew 24, verse 35. It says, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. The imperishable, remaining forever word of the Lord. This word, this word will not pass away, though everything around us will. The next, next descriptor in this list of uh, descriptor of God's word is the living and abiding word of God. And so you see in multiple times throughout scripture, uh, this idea of living and abiding word that we come in contact with. And so in Hebrews 4.12 the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Cuts to bone and marrow. Spirit, uh, division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's living. This is why we can go to the same passage and two different people can feel like they get two different things from it because the word of the Lord is living and impacts us. God has what he has for us in that moment differently than the next person next to us. And as well, you can go to the same passage a year later. And you'll get something different than you got the year before because it's living and active. As well, in John 15, it says there, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So again, go back to that verse in First Peter. It's living and it's abiding. And I think really for the first time as I was working, working through this passage, I'd always looked at those verses in John about, yeah, I have to abide in Jesus and what it means for me to abide in God. And I realized not only do we abide in him, but he abides in us. It's a two-way street there. It's not just us having to do all the effort, but it's God meeting us in that process and abiding in us and his word abiding in us. It changes us from the inside out as we meditate on his word as we, and as we, let, it, as we let it transform our mind. It's living and it's abiding. And finally, the last descriptor of the word that is used in this passage in 1 Peter is that the good news, uh, the word is the good news that was preached. Confirmation that the word is not just 
the written word and the scriptures, but also the word that's preached to them verbally in that process. And really, it speaks to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, as we talked about earlier, is the specific word that's preached to them. So the word is what holds the power to change our heart and to love one another earnestly. It doesn't come from our own ability, it comes from the word. And just a quick side note from those of you who are online, um, really, you look at this passage, it's all about this living community and living with one another. Uh, and really, the impact of that is, is hard to do when you're not with other people. So I know there's a multitude of reasons why people are online, why you're online today. Um, but I would challenge you to consider, it's hard to do the one another and living with one another well if we're not living with one another. And it's hard to live with one another if we're not in person showing up. And so if we keep going, you'll notice how all these things, not only there, it has the positive of loving one another earnestly, but you jump down to chapter 2, verse 1, it really is, this is where the divisions in uh, chapters don't really do us a favor, because really this is tied more so with the previous chapter than, than with the next. And so in verse 1 of chapter 2, um, we can toss it up there, you're going to notice that he says to put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. It's the opposite side of, of not loving earnestly. This, this word that transforms us, it's, it's a both a putting on and a putting off. You see that throughout Paul's letters in Galatians, a putting off and a putting on. And this is the putting off side of being transformed by the word. It's putting away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and loving one another earnestly is what you're putting on. And so I just want to take a quick moment and use this list as a little just check for ourselves. How are we doing? How are we doing in this area? Are we harboring any ill will towards another? Are we harboring malice towards someone else? Maybe outwardly or maybe just in our heart. Are we hiding something or lying? Maybe something big, maybe something small. Are we living in a hypocritical manner? Maybe here Sunday, another six days of the week, really our life does not reflect the word. Are you envious of something someone else has? Maybe a job or a relationship, a house, a car, the list could go on in that one. And it's so easy for us to envy those things we don't have. Are you disparaging someone? Spreading false stories, slandering another. Or perhaps you're just in the listening end and kind of taking it in and kind of hearing that without really trying to actually choose it necessarily, but you are actively listening to it and hearing it and, and engaging in it. All of these things can tear the social fabric of a community apart and direct contrast with the love earnestly they talked about earlier. And so let me give you an example of how this, goes, this has gone poorly. Um, a handful of years ago, I was working on a campus ministry here in Baltimore and Towson, um, and there was a string of decisions that my boss made at the time that I really was not in agreement with, as well as a number of our student leaders thought similarly to me and did not agree as well. And in this moment, in my frustration, I spoke with some of the leaders I was working with and voiced that frustration to them. And really what I effectively did was I undermined the authority of my boss and also I effectively killed the, com the community and our team in a way that really wasn't helpful. It wasn't loving to him, it wasn't loving to the students in the way I was reflecting that. And so use that as a, as a negative example of don't be like me, 
but love one another with fervency, with consistency, with effort through the transforming power of the word. Because it really took time for us to move past that effect of, of what I did in those moments. The word of the Lord, word of God lives in, abides in us, purifies our soul, remains forever, and fuels our love of one another. And that really leads us to the second exhortation that Peter has for us in this section. It says in verse 2 and 3 of, of chapter 2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have la- tasted that the Lord is good. And so when you see the connection here, he kind of weaves. Again, this is kind of a back and forth that can be easy to lose what he's really trying to say. But he starts here using a metaphor, obviously. It's not like a, hey, calling everybody there newborn infants and they're new in their faith. It's really not the case. But what he's doing is using metaphor. Like newborn infants need milk, need sustenance, we are to crave and long for spiritual nourishment. As adults, we can go a day without eating, maybe two. Uh, but really, for newborn babies, they, they really can't. You, it's, it's a constant need for nourishment for them to grow and be healthy in, in their feedings. And so do you long for spiritual nourishment the way the babies need milk? The word is, again, the key part of this. You see there, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. By it, by the word, you may grow up into salvation. The word is the key part yet again in this passage. So are we spending time in the word? Or are we too busy? I know there's a hundred excuses out there of why we don't spend time in the word. But how many times will we say we're just too busy or we'll do it later and we don't actually get to it? It doesn't actually happen. So just like a baby needs constant nourishment, we are in need of a connection to the ongoing manner of spiritual nourishment in the Word. There are 168 hours in the week, and you're here on Sunday for maybe an hour and a half or so. And so if we are only dependent on our time here on Sunday morning to be in the Word together, we're functionally being discipled by a thousand other things throughout the week. We have 166, 167 hours. We're being discipled by a thousand other things in our world, not the Word of God. And so just for comparison's sake, just think about this morning, how many times we checked our phone, how we depended that we are on the technology around us and social media. See, ultimately, we will make time for what we value. So do you value and prioritize God's Word in your life? I remember my junior year of college, I was kind of struggling with reading the Word, and um, the guy that was discipling me at the time uh, told me a story. He told me about how his brother is a dentist, and he'd go to his, his brother who's a dentist, and like all dentists, he'd ask, hey, have you, have you flossed? He's like, well, like, eh, it's been okay. We always kind of give that little, like, eh, we kind of did it. Um, but what he did was he, his brother kind of a little bit called him out on it. It was like, hey, well, if you didn't do it today, if you didn't do it yesterday, do it today. If you didn't, didn't do it the past week, do it today. If you didn't do it the past month, do it today. And how perfectly that relates to our time in the Word. Don't beat ourselves up over what's past. Just do it today. Do whatever it takes to make it a priority. Find a reading plan. Listen to it during your commute. Find a group of friends and do a version devotional together. We just started doing that in our small group, and it's been uh, just a joy to be in the Word together with other guys. So long for that spiritual nourishment. We have access 
to the living, abiding, imperishable, remaining forever word of God. What a privilege that is. And yet how often we neglect that and ignore that for thousands of other things around us. And don't pretend to think that I'm, I'm on a high horse here. I'm just as guilty of that as anybody else. But reading the Word is not only the way we can receive spiritual nourishment, though it's a vital one, really there's, there's many ways we can receive spiritual nourishment through the preached Word, as, as Peter said earlier, through the memorized Word, through the sung Word, through the Word spoken to one another in small groups, through individual conversations. We can receive spiritual nourishment by spending time in the Word with others as well. All are vital means necessary for us to grow, as Peter says, to grow into salvation. So growing into salvation demands a love that is known for putting away some things while also putting on some things. Putting away the malice, the slander, and so on he talked about. And putting on genuine love for one another and a longing for that word, a longing, craving his word. And those are the loving one another, the longing for the word is a natural outflow of the word implanted inside of us. So I think at this point, it's probably easy for many of us to kind of step back and say, yeah, I kind of feel a little guilty for the things I'm not doing. Maybe even have some doubts. And that's where there's good news. If the focus is on us and our performance, we will always fail and fall short. That's just a guarantee. It's just who we are as humans. We will fall short of that. Our best efforts will do a good job, but eventually we will fall short. But thank God our salvation doesn't rest upon us. It rests upon a much surer and a much firmer foundation than us. And so remember throughout this passage, what's the focus? It's the Word. The Word again and again and again is the focus, what fuels our love, what fuels our longing for Him, what fuels our, our growth in our, to our salvation. It's the Word that saves us and the Word that fuels us to love one another. Now, I knew that we had a lot going on this morning, so I didn't have a super long message, so worship team can go ahead and head on up here. Um, but really, it's the word that saves us, the word that fuels love of one another. This, look at this passage, it's really two big points. It's the love of one another and longing for the spiritual nourishment. So it's the big idea I have for you guys is the word of God fuels life change. It's just, it's that simple, that the word of the Lord is one that fuels us from the beginning, throughout the process. It's what lives in us, and causes life change. And so it's not about us trying harder. It's about the Word having effect in our life, and the Word, which is sure and will remain forever, having its effect. The imperishable, living, abiding, remaining forever Word of God. So while God does call us to this idea of cooperative sanctification, that He has some role and we have a role, He really is doing the hard work. The power rests in His hands. And so I love what it says in Isaiah 55. It says, the word, uh, yeah, who shall, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth? It shall not return to me empty, or in other translations, return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It doesn't rest upon us, it doesn't rest upon our efforts, it rests upon the word of the Lord. And his word does not return void. It's the faithful God and his faithful word that will not return void, but will accomplish the life change it's designed for. It will not return empty. It will accomplish the purposes he's been given for it. So the big idea, again, is the word of God fuels life change. It's not about us, but it's about the power of the word. Imperishable, living, abiding, remaining forever. His word is all the firm foundation upon which our salvation and our life change rests. 
as I think about the Momentum Conference last week, there's so many different great time of worship, great games, great fun with community. The thing that will have a lasting impact is the Word. The Word preached and the Word implanted in our hearts. And that's why it's, it's no matter what our necessary opinion on what, what any given thing went and how we liked it or didn't, it's not based upon that. It's based upon the Word. And so let me leave you with the verse that Peter quotes to end this section. He quotes Psalm 34. And he says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. It's not about us, but it's about putting our hope and our trust in the firm foundation of his word and who God is. And so we just stand and sing the song, uh, Firm Foundation, reminding us of the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of his word, that's not based on us. Thank God it's not based on us. Let me pray. Jesus, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your faithfulness to meet us again and again and again. Though we fail, your word will not return empty. It will not return void. It will accomplish the purposes to which it's been sent. And that's where our hope rests. It's a sure foundation. It's a firm foundation which upon we trust. And so we thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you for the impact it has in our lives. And we thank you that it is a thing that helps us to love one another, to live out biblical community with one another and live out this idea of longing for your word. And we, may you grow us in our love and our care and desire and craving for the word and be transformed through that. In Jesus' name I pray.